welcome to the University of Birmingham's Rise of the Research series. Each episode will feature two experts discussing areas of their research that relate to subjects explored in Disney's Star Wars movie franchise. This episode will feature experts from the Departments of Political Science and International Studies and Film and Television Studies and they will be discussing if the Star Wars movies carry a political message. Hey everybody, I'm Scott Lucas. I'm professor of U.S. and international politics at the University of Birmingham. I'm a bit of a film buff, uh, not so much a Star Wars buff, but quite interested in asking if we can still learn something about the films more than 40 years later. So to help me out, I brought in an old friend named Richard Langley. Richard, tell us about yourself. Uh, so I'm Dr. Richard Langley from the Department of Film and Creative Writing uh, here at the University of Birmingham. And I would describe myself also as a film buff, but also as someone very interested in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Empire Strikes Back was the first film I went to see at the cinema um, when I was aged four um, in 1980. Did you have, you had all the, the toys and the merchandise as well? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I had two elder brothers and... Um, for every Christmas, I guess, for the early 80s, we just, all we wanted was Star Wars stuff. All we wanted. And we had boxes and boxes and boxes full of it, which then I later sold in my teenage years. Um, I wish I'd kept onto it because now it's worth a fortune on eBay. So is it fair to say that the magic of Star Wars had disappeared and you just became a cynical entrepreneur by, by your teenage years in the what, late 1980s? I don't know if the magic had necessarily disappeared. At that stage, certainly, the magic was kind of, it was crystallised because it felt like that there was only ever going to be three films and that George Lucas's grand plan that there would be an episode one to three um, and the current you know, trilogy, um, seven, eight and nine that's coming out soon, that, that would never really come to fruition. It would never, ever happen. Um, so at that stage, Star Wars was kind of perfect. Um, and the toys, you, I think, can mature out of the toys. Um, and therefore, I wanted to profit on them when I needed the money when I was 18, 19, and wanted to spend it on going on holiday and things. Um, but the stories were, in some sense, kind of timeless uh, by design as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I had a different entry point. God, this is going to give it away because I was 14 when the first Star Wars came out. Didn't watch in the first rush of people that went there. Always was like kind of that cynical 14-year-old. Oh, why should I do what everybody else is doing? Finally watched it a little bit later on uh, that year. Never really watched Empire Strikes, Strikes Back because it's like, well, yeah. I don't know what I was off to, probably lost in the realms of disco, you know, some type of back alley there. But for me, it was always linked with politics. Um, yeah, I was a strange 14-year-old. So, you, so you, whereas you've got the magic, already I'm thinking, oh, geez, this is just America, man. This is just America trying to work off the fact that it's really, really depressed because it's Watergate, Vietnam, uh, the economy's going to hell. Uh, and I can remember... I guess maintaining that idea that linked to politics, and all of a sudden Ronald Reagan pops up in '82, which I guess would still be as the trilogy is being made, and here he is talking about the evil empire, and calling his strategic defense initiative that magic nuclear umbrella that would protect us from the 
evil empire, calls it Star Wars. And I'm going, okay, maybe I was right after all. Maybe this was just a big ruse for the politicians to get Spielberg and Lucas to give them uh, their excuse to whip up on the Soviets. I mean, twas ever thus, that relationship between Washington and Hollywood. And it's really interesting you say that, that kind of seeing that first film as a response to some grim times in the 70s. Do you know what the title of that one is? It's New Hope, isn't it? It's A New Hope. Oh, that's right. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it couldn't be more grounded in a particular type of aspirational American identity. Um, then The Empire Strikes Back. Again, the particular kind of ideas around empire that are fundamental to American history, really. Yeah. But am I right in saying that was, I mean, that Star Wars brought back that type of science fantasy? Well, I don't even, what, what, genre, what genre do we put it in? Um, so we'd say, so broadly, we'd say science fiction. Specifically, we'd say space opera. Right. Um, so one of the things that uh, George Lucas is doing there is because it's, you know, so much of it is nostalgic. And George Lucas is tapping into the um, serialized both TV shows and shorts that were on in the cinema in the 50s when he was kind of at the same age as you were particularly. Um, Flash Gordon, right? And those kind of like epic space heroes, Buck Rogers. Um, he wanted something that would kind of tap into that, right? Spielberg is doing the same thing with Indiana Jones um, at approximately the same time, right? They're both looking back into that 1950s period and trying to reclaim something hopeful from it, I think. That's interesting. So it's reworking America of the 50s, looking back, when you're talking about the era of the B-movies, right, the era of Pulp Fiction, right, and and that idea of fighting the aliens and the worlds to be conquered. So the Robert Heinlein novels, for example, Forbidden Planet, right? And, of course, in the 50s, we were scrapping with the commies back then, right? So, I mean, do you think, as Star Wars is being made, that that they're trying to tap into a political moment in the States? Or is it just simply guys who are reaching back into their cultural banks and it just so happens what they come up with happens to be the fit for others in American political culture to say, hey, we can run with this? I think there's a degree of it with all filmmaking that is possibly kind of conscious. But I think actually that's much smaller than... Even a lot of kind of film studies boffins like me would would like to think it is that actually what people are really doing is just absorbing the culture that's there around them, um, and inevitably that finds itself getting distilled into that narrative. Now, what Lucas did with Star Wars, though, was particularly—I mean, in some ways you could think of it as particularly cynical, right? That that he doesn't just kind of think, oh, what's the kind of best? You know, he goes to Joseph Campbell. You know, he looks at these people that have studied myths and what makes myths work. He looks at the hero's journey and goes, "Okay, what does that look like in a movie form? And it looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi and it looks like Luke Skywalker and it looks like Darth Vader and it looks like an empire and these really clear forces of binary good and evil. Um, And so he's using that kind of theory to kind of in some ways reverse engineer his, you know, the Star Wars universe. We've become very familiar now with this concept of a kind of cinematic universe. Well, Lucas was the first, really, to kind of conceive of that on that scale, I think. What I find interesting is, though, to, to pick up again on looking back to the 50s, is 
he doesn't tap back into another strand of, of science fiction, say like The Day the Earth Stood Still, and to an extent War of the Worlds, the film version, which says, look, there, there are issues with us. There are issues about what we're doing to our world. He goes very much for the straight good versus evil narrative, right? It seems to me to be even some ways a, a, a starker us versus them version than even what we had in the previous generation of films. Yes. Um, so one of the things he kind of does sidestep um, that you will find is a really big pre preoccupation with a load of those kind of schlock sci-fi and kind of sci-fi horror films of the 50s is the bomb, right? Um, now, obviously, yes, we have the we have the concept of the Death Star and, and, and that's there, but it, he doesn't go for that quite so obviously. Instead, I think you're right, he, re he does reach back even further. So we're way past the 50s, right? So I can't remember who wrote this, but, but somebody once wrote that, that Star Wars is essentially, it's a retelling of the American Revolution through the lens of the Second World War, right? And that's why we end up with the whole empire. Um, I mean, it's no accident that every imp imperial bad guy in Star Wars is played by a British actor, Right. I mean, again, that's a, it's a standard throughout Hollywood because it ties back to that history. It's a really, really f easy way to say to the audience, you know this, you recognize this. This is really familiar to you because you heard it at grade school. Right. You know, these baddies are bad because listen to how they talk. Right. Wherever we put them in space or the future, it doesn't really matter. Um, so you've got that kind of whole American Revolution aspect with its very, again, really clear binary but you also have the binary of fascism, right? They're called stormtroopers for a reason, right? He's just taken that. If you look at the way in which the Imperial forces dress, the officer class, they are straight off the peg Gestapo officers. They are, without question, Nazis. Um, so, he, again, he, it's, a, it's a really easy win. Right. You go to those two historical kind of moments and distill that into we haven't even got onto the whole fact that Han Solo is basically a cowboy. Um, you know, it's all kind of crystallized in there. It's, it's really clever and incredibly simple at the same time. True. Uh, now, where we place Chewbacca in terms of being the sidekick to the cowboy, we could work on that. But I see where you're going. If we take it forward, but, but if you take it forward in a different way with Star Wars, of course, it's going forward to go backwards, to go to the prequels, and arguably going backwards in quality. I mean, can we stipulate for the audience out there that, that, that you're not a fan of the, of the initial three, not the initial three films? This is why it's always hard to discuss. So, the prequels. Yeah. I, um, I was lucky in some ways. So I was, um, I did American Studies as my degree, right? Um, and... When I did that, we still had a year in California as part of our year abroad thing. Um, so I was in Los Angeles when The Phantom Menace was released, right? One of our, basically, we drew straws to see who was going to be the person that would queue overnight to get the tickets. So somebody camped, right? And we took him down supplies at midnight, right, to get him through. Um, and then the next night... We were all there, right? People were queuing around the block for six weeks, right? The level of excitement was amazing. It was the first time I'd kind of been into a cinema where, you know, it was a, a kind of big, classic Hollywood, two-tier cinema. I remember looking over the balcony just before it started and the kind of lights went down and then 
kind of lightsaber light started going up all over down the bottom. The, the credits started and people started screaming and cheering. I mean, it was so, so exciting. And the film was so, so disappointing. Um, Jar Jar Binks. I, I don't know if we need to look further than that. <laughs> I mean, is it just simply, I mean, you know, we like to analyze things, you and I do. Is it just simply, just, just simply these are just simply badly made films? Or is it that, that for some way that Star Wars was now out of step with American culture in some way? Because we're after the Cold War. We're after us versus the commies. I think we're at a point where simple binarism, which is what the Cold War kind of most clearly kind of grounds itself in, stops working. Um, that once we kind of get to a kind of, you know, get overly kind of theoretical about it, but once we kind of get to Fukuyama and that whole kind of, well, we've won, right? I mean, it's done. Then I suppose there is a question of, do we need to keep rehearsing this story? Do we need to keep going through this? Isn't it done now? But arguably Independence Day, which had come out a few years before that, what, 94, right, had worked at least to an extent with audiences. It had worked at least to an extent, but what Independence Day was doing was slightly different in terms of it was trying to, rather than to defeat that primary enemy in the form of so the, the status of, of the enemy of the monster, if you like, had changed. And so it was no longer the Cold War. It was about this grand way of moving forward as a planet, if you like. So the big speech in Independence Day, when Bill Murray does his whole thing, you know, this is our Independence Day, and they all start cheering, the flags are waving. And suddenly, you know, the message goes out around the world that the Americans have a plan, Right. And everybody else is like, thank God the Americans have got a plan because everyone's waiting for America to lead the world forward. And it, it was a utopian vision for the post-Cold War world in which the US would do that. And that lasted for the 90s. And that was it. Right. right? And it was done. Was it Bill Murray or was it Bill Pullman? Bill Pullman. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank now, you. Now, Bill Murray, given that speech, would have been right. giving it a special that, resonance. That brilliant. Oh, my God. That's, yeah, that would have been amazing. <laughs> okay. uh, but yes, Bill Pullman. All right. So... It, in a way, it's interesting as well, because I, I, I can't remember the exact dates on the prequels. But, of course, we get 9-11 as this moment in American culture and, quote, everything changes or you feel like everything changes. Is it a fact that it just took years before we finally get to, what, are 7, 8, and 9? Does Star Wars successfully remake itself, not only as quality films, but to catch up with America or to catch up with the world? In part, it does catch up with the world. I mean, so because we know where one, two, and three are going to end, right, it loses some frisson, right? It loses some narrative tension because we know we end up with Darth Vader. We end up with Luke and Leia and all of that kind of stuff that we move seamlessly into with episode four. Um, so when episode seven comes out, I think a lot of that new excitement is there again, particularly when they've cast a female lead, they've cast a black lead. You know, we shouldn't underestimate the significance of that. And I don't think that that was necessarily kind of cynical casting too much, right? I mean, it was shrewd, um, but it, it was also what the franchise needed to reinvigorate itself. And there is now a slight instability in terms of where it ends up, right? What's going to happen? Um, 
who's going to turn out to be the good guy, the bad guy. And they, they certainly have, um, in The Last Jedi, they started playing much more with a notion of the grey area, that that kind of black and white binarism wasn't really appropriate anymore. And we were starting to see how some of these darker characters became dark. It wasn't just, well, they're commies or, well, they're evil by design. So th I think there's still an element of intrigue to it. Um, I guess the question I have for you as well is one of the things then that I'm quite conscious of is whether or not you think that there is, based on some of the kind of discussions we had earlier, a kind of possibly some form of need for the Star Wars narrative to work because we clearly have in lots of places around the world, a return to hard-right, pseudo, semi, or full-blown fascist politics. And therefore, that sense of there being a real enemy is a conversation we, need, we perhaps want these big stories to start having. Or is Star Wars not the place for that? Well, I, I think it's a huge question. I mean, let's, let's see what, the, what Nine comes up with. But, I mean, the starting point, I think, is even before you get to when Seven comes out, so we're in the post-9-11 moment, and what's interesting about film, amidst the war on terror, amidst uh, the threats of an al-Qaeda or an Islamic state or of these you know, authoritarian regimes, is that a lot of film complicates things further and says it isn't a clean answer. You think about Dark Knight. So you think about the Batman, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, uh, probably the Dark Knight being the exemplar, uh, without giving the ending away, folks, of that there is no clean answer of salvation. There is no clean answer of basically residing in good values, even the values that Barack Obama held up uh, to rescue us. If you think about even, you know, if we have to go down Marvel and if we have to, you know, talk about the Avengers, that the, the, it's not, it turns out to be different from the idea of that there's going to be triumph that simply is going to rescue us all. If you talk about Joker coming out this year, which I think is one of the best films I have seen recently, um, and again, without giving away the ending, the way that America is far too complicated to deal with itself, let alone to deal with others. Does Star Wars position itself amongst all those films and what has come out in 7, 8, and 9? Or does it say, look, no, 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 we'll go back to the idea that we can rest upon the fact that there is a force. There's an element of decency and of value that can we reside in. Or does it say, in the end, folks, it's up to you. We're not going to give you the answer, which would be the step forward. Here, at least for some folks like myself, I can't lock into what America is right now in 2019. I can lock in what I want it to be. But does Star Wars try to anticipate that or has it tried to anticipate that? Or does it try to get nostalgic and give us an easy way out? I think it tries to do both. I mean, I think in some ways, because of the nature of the property, um, and I mean that in terms of the Star Wars property. I mean, you've got to look at who owns that now, right? Disney didn't pay $4 billion for Star Wars in order to stop making movies, right? Or stop making toys. Um, they're in a really interesting position because in some ways, because of what they do and because of who they are, you might think that that would kind of, that locks Star Wars in um, to a kind of quite tight age demographic that enjoys the rest of their stuff. Um, and they don't branch out too often, right? I think you might get the occasional film that's going to do that. There's, there are not many texts inside that universe 
that you think, oh, wow, that, that was edgy. Right? They really stepped out. Um, the only film really, I think, in the superhero genre that's done that is Logan. Um, I think the, the, the Deadpool movies also are really interesting in terms of the, their positioning. But actually, the Deadpool movies are in some ways an inevitable outcome of what happens when the genre gets old, right? That you have a Mel Brooks-type character that comes in and goes, well, all of this is ridiculous, so let's send it all up. Um, Logan's something else. I think Rogue One is the closest that Star Wars has come to finding a film that can really push against those boundaries. Whereas what we want and probably need is something that's a little bit edgier. Well, it's interesting. I'm just one more flashback before we kind of wrap it up and let the listeners jump in. I, one of the few graphic novels I ever read was Watchmen, which must have read a, I must have read it in the 1990s. I'm trying to think back, and so on. I just was absolutely blown away by it. And my understanding is this may be making it onto our screens fairly soon. It's already there. So, so which fits better for our times, Watchmen, in which you have this perpetual instability, this perpetual threat of destruction, or Star Wars? So if we're looking for something that's actually trying to be reflective, Watchmen's where we're at, and Star Wars is probably where we want to be. So to rework the old phrase at the end of The Dark Knight, Watchmen's what we got, but Star Wars is what we need? Maybe, right? It's Maybe. Well, maybe I should reconsider the fact that uh, I haven't seen a Star Wars film for a while and see if I can catch up with you. Uh, Richard, hey, thanks so much for chatting through... 40 years and beyond of Star Wars and American culture. Hey, thanks to y'all for listening out there. Uh, do hope we haven't given away too much and that you enjoy nine and go back and enjoy the previous eight as well. Uh, be sure to check out the videos that we're putting out, you know, talking about politics, talking about science, talking about all other aspects of Star Wars. And uh, wherever you are, keep true to your own values, be decent, and uh, keep the force with you. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. For more information on the University of Birmingham's research, please visit www.birmingham.ac.uk forward slash research.